This week on the podcast, I welcome Jan Swiderski. Jan is a former fund manager with an impressive CV boasting experience in asset management, structured finance, and hedge funds. More notably, however, Jan is now a trustee and director of the Global Returns Project, which is a fund designed to tackle the climate and nature crisis in a unique and innovative way. When I started the Wealth Journal, it's always been my ambition to have people like Jan to come onto the podcast someone of his experience sharing his learnings and thoughts on wealth, but also, and in some ways more importantly, how he's using that experience and applying it to address global issues which are hugely important and impact us all. As always, anything me and Jan discuss should not be considered financial advice, and I recommend you do your own research before making any investments. What I will say, however, is listen to all of this episode, and I urge you to take the time to learn more about the Global Returns Project and the work they are doing, because, really, it might be the most important investment or asset allocation you ever make. Why? Well, have a listen to find out. Now, with that out of the way, let's get cracking. Okay, Jan. Welcome to the Wealth Journal podcast. It's a pleasure for me to talk to you today. Um, yeah, well, it's a pleasure to be here, Jay. Thanks for asking me. Now, when we have guests on the on the podcast, I tend to ask them all a similar question, really, which is, "What does wealth mean to you?" So, Jan, it'd be great to get your thoughts on on what does wealth mean to you. Um, well, I suppose I've never really been asked that before, but thinking about it, um, it used to mean different things at different times of my life. So when I was sort of a teenager and sort of broke, uh, it just meant having a lot of money. But then as, as you sort of grow up and have children and, and, and do some planning, it means so much more than just money. It's about, it's about sort of well-being and security and just not feeling pressure, um, whether it's pressure on your health or your, your security or your family. So, so it's about a whole range of things, which includes money. Absolutely. It's very similar to, to me, I think, if I look back a few years ago. And it's interesting, actually, a lot of the guests have a similar response to that question. A few years ago, for me, growing up, it, was, it would have been a, lots of money, nice car, nice holidays, and all the trimmings. And now, you know, I've got two young children. It is very much about, actually, wealth probably brings more freedom and choice and, and security and less concerned about the Ferrari and and all that jazz. Uh, although that would be nice. Um, yeah, it's definitely more having the freedom and, and, and choice to make my own decisions and, and do what I want to do. So, yeah, And I mean, the origin of, of the word is actually well-being or good. You know, you know, it's, 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 um, that, that, that's the etymology of it. Yeah. Yeah. That's interesting. Yeah, very good. Um, so, Jan, I'm keen to just learn a little bit more about about you, your background, and sort of what what's led you to where you are now, really. Well, so um, I used to be a fund manager, so I worked in finance for for all of my career, and um, and I suppose part of being a fund manager is you you you're constantly thinking about you know what's going on in the world and how that's going to change, and um, um, you know what are the, what are the how is the world evolving around you and and one of those that that you know 
made me have a strong interest in what we're doing to the environment and what you know human activity how it's affecting our earth systems and anyway I, I retired from finance about six years ago and uh, moved to Cornwall to run an organic farm um, uh, but um, you know I felt that things were still getting worse from an environmental point of view and it was obvious that governments were not doing enough that's why we started um the global returns project because i just felt i couldn't stand by and just do nothing i felt i had to do something that, that could make a difference and i guess you're taking your experiences from fund management and applying them to the global returns projects what are the sort of crossover skills that you're able to to utilize well so so um you know uh, i'll explain a bit later on exactly what we're doing but we're we're we're, we're using because um, my one of my fellow trustees is a is a sort of accountant and business strategist, so our background is very much business and finance. So we, I'm using a sort of fund management mindset to approach the problem, and and also trying to use our network within finance to 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 help you know use the financial system to tackle uh, the problems of climate change and. You know, there's an awful lot of talk about, um, you know, ESG and sustainability and, you know, this initiative and that initiative. Um, but, I, I, you know, what we're trying to do is something something new, a different approach. And I suppose the skills are, you know, networking. We've built up a lot of contacts over the years. Their um, focus on evidence and facts, you know, we do, we do our research and you don't make decisions just on kind of hearsay or myths um you know there was i always used to um try and find what are the market myths what are the things that people believe that aren't true and 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 that's a really important question as a, as an investor and a fund manager to ask yourself and in fact in life is to say well what do i believe that isn't true and just challenge all your everyday assumptions the whole time. And the way you the way you do that is doing good research and getting to the bottom of things. And I'm keen to sort of understand, and probably for the listeners as well who maybe have heard the term fund manager. But what yeah. does a what does a fund manager manager actually do? So, uh, I mean, they manage money. They so so what they do is somebody entrusts you in whatever format their funds on the basis that you have the skills and experience to make a, 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 a return for them in the manner that they expect it. And the thing is with funds, there's a whole spectrum of very, very low risk to very, very high risk. And it's all about kind of defining uh, what your mandate is. So, so, so this is what you as an investor expect me as a fund manager to do. And then staying within that mandate and doing you know, investor expects you to do in terms of, you know, what sectors you're investing in, importantly, how much risk you're taking, uh, how much, you know, volatility they might expect around their return. And then, you know, within that, those parameters do the best job you can to earn them, earn them money. I mean, that's, that's it, basically. <laughs> and was the, is the pressure always on a fund manager to sort of beat the market as, as you, you tend to hear yeah because you're or... you're you're in a race you're 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 constantly compared against your peers so so you, you, you there's no other way to describe it you're in a race 
and it's and it's all about are you are you in the front 10 or three or quarter or however however you want to define it but people will always look at you and say you know how are you doing compared to people who are doing the similar things who are people who are running in the same race as you yeah because i always find that when i've when i've read about just investing in general certainly over a long time horizon you find that to actually beat the market consistently over many years is seems to be quite difficult is 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 that the is that the case in reality i think it is quite difficult i think i think um you know few people uh can can do that and few people can do that over a reasonable period of time i mean you know rule of thumb if somebody has been beating the market for about 10 years you can say something about their management style not just being random in other words you know anyone can have two or three good years or even five good years um once you have sort of 10 good years um that takes out a lot of uh that re- significantly reduces the probability that it's just chance that they're doing well uh, i mean there's a great book um called fooled by randomness which i read quite early on by uh you know uh, nicholas named taib uh, and it's and it's quite a short book it's 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 very it's i think it was one of his first ones it's very good because it's all about how um you know a lot of people think they're great at this that and the other but in fact it's just it's just random chance i'll have to check that out i'm actually reading one of his books at the moment i think it's called skin in the game um, I've just right. got into the first few pages, but I do like his books. Yeah. Um, and I'm keen to sort of understand because it feels like the, there's a secret to, to wealth. There's the sort of uh, people in the world of finance that for everyday people, almost it feels like they know something that everybody else doesn't. Is there anything that you sort of learned throughout your career that you've been able to adopt into your own your own personal finance and how you manage your own your own uh wealth if that makes sense yeah so so uh, you know diversification is important you know very simple don't have all your eggs in one basket um having said that don't be scared of risk um you know warren buffett said there are no there are no bad risks there are only bad odds so so it's all about risk reward it's it's not about whether something's risky or not it's what's the probability of you making money if you take that risk and what you're trying constantly trying to do is find find the risks where the payoff is many times you know the probability of loss um and and um you know, so I suppose those two things are quite important. And the other thing is just is just planning, you know, and do your research. Yeah, absolutely. I think um I think research is is key. And I've certainly found from my experience and maybe speaking to some other people that actually picking sometimes picking stocks can be quite can be quite difficult for the average retail investor. Whereas, like you said, a diversified portfolio potentially of a variety of different index funds is is probably quite a good strategy for somebody who can't dedicate a huge amount of of time i think that's i think that's exactly right and 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 precisely because it's very difficult to you know identify those fund managers who are genuinely doing something different 
um, um, you know, a sensible strategy, I think, is to have, you know, low fee index funds in a variety of sectors. And then you're very, you know, you're very well diversified. Um, and over time, you'll probably find you consistently outperform a lot of fund managers. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Um, and then I guess like after after working with, I assume, sort of fairly high net worth clients or maybe even institutions, was there any sort of common threads or consistencies with their attitude towards towards money that you think maybe the average everyday person doesn't have? And I guess my point here is that normal sort of everyday people tend to tend to work for money where it feels like the the rich and wealthy tend to get money to work for them do you think that's that's true well it, it, it is in the sense that that you know if you don't have any savings you can't make investments because that's where you know you know everybody's investment is someone else's saving you know if anyone's trying to raise capital that's because somebody else has saved that money and is prepared to to invest it with them so so if you're in a situation where you simply don't have any savings mm. then those savings can't work for you but as soon as you manage to um you know save some money or somehow you know get a surplus it might be an inheritance or it might be you know some some other way that you've managed to get some money then then um that money can then be put to work <laughs> yeah uh, but so so yes i mean that is that is the case i mean that that's just the way our system works yeah i think like there was a realization for me a few years ago when we you know me and my wife were, were saving money i was actually saving money for my children as well and it was sat in a in a bank account the interest rates were so low and certainly certainly for our children their time horizon was you know, maybe 18 20 years before i'd actually like them to access that cash and just by doing a rough calculation of inflation the interest rate they were earning and learning a little bit more about actually putting money to work especially over a long time horizon it just seemed a no-brainer for me to actually invest that money and once i learned more about compounding and um, index funds and how the you know market returns it just seemed like the the best thing for us to do um and i think if i hadn't have done that you know done that step and that's sort of why uh, i started to do the podcast was just to try and highlight people although it's it's not easy and you you can lose money um actually over a long time horizon the, the odds become become much less uh, absolutely and 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 obviously people shouldn't take you know uncalculated risks but as a general observation i i tend to see that people take too little risk in their personal investments because what's happened is the money is hard earned and the savings are difficult to accumulate and once they've done that they, there's a natural loss aversion they, they 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 don't want anything to risk that but as you say if you do the calculations and you look at you know what inflation is doing and what where real interest rates have been now for quite a long time um it, you're actually taking quite a lot of risk by doing what you think might be the safe thing whereas if you if you find you know low fee well diversified you know blue chip index funds it's actually 
as soon as you're thinking of a slightly longer horizon of say you know 10 years plus then it makes no sense to just keep that money in cash yeah absolutely 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 i'm going to do a bit of a 90 degree turn here and you mentioned esg earlier um i've heard esg banded around quite a lot these last few few months can you just give us a bit of a an idea of what esg means yeah so so it's just a it's just a bit of um jargon really like finance is so full of jargon and it just means environmental social and governance factors so so these are basically you know non-financial factors which companies should take into account when they're running their businesses and and um you know that there, there are you know other ways to express similar themes you know there, there was you know ethical investing um was probably the previous label um and there was also you know broadly speaking sustainable investing which is perhaps concentrates on the e of esg um and then you have impact investing which is you know where you're actually trying to you know the company or the investment fund is trying to actually have positive outcomes beyond what the the investments themselves might might be achieving so so it's a kind of you know it, it, it's the current sort of labeling for um all of those factors which people think now that we should be taking into account which are beyond the pure you know profit and loss and return numbers and i guess that sort of in some ways nicely leads us on to to what what you're currently working on so if i fast forward a few years from your career from a fund management manager which you've you've i assume you've now left behind it takes yeah. us to around about 2019 i think when you started working on the global returns project which involves a new kind of of wealth management can you explain a little bit more about this this new kind of wealth management sure absolutely so so um you know if you're if you're thinking about your your wealth and and your savings and investments as we've been discussing you necessarily have you know a medium term horizon you're thinking 5 years 10 years ahead if you're thinking for your children it could be 30 years ahead and you're thinking also well you know what will the world look like you know when when they grow up or 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 if you're saving for your retirement when i retire or you know whatever the your situation is and if we look around the world could actually look pretty ugly because of you know human activity essentially and it's got to the stage where you know all of the best scientists are telling us very clearly that our current civilization is not sustainable and 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 you know without meaning to be alarmist this is just sort of cold logic um you know what's happening with the um climate and biodiversity crisis you know it's very probable that maybe a third of the world's population today will be living in areas which become uninhabitable in a couple of decades and if you can think about what that might do to global food supply chains to global security to health to migration to regional conflicts um you know without even thinking about extreme weather events which we're already experiencing and you know what that does to 
infrastructure and businesses. So just looking at it from a from a from a sort of cold logical financial point of view, this is really bad news for all our investments. And you know, it's very hard to work out how that's going to play out. But what is clear is we need to do something about it. And governments are not doing enough. And there are a whole lot of reasons why they're not doing enough, uh, which I don't think we need to go into now. Um, but the fact is they're not doing enough. And, you know, the numbers tell us that they're not doing enough in the sense of, you know, um, if we look at, you know, if we just look at once again, do the research, look at the data, the data is telling us that atmospheric CO2 concentrations are going up consistently every year. They're, they've just about hit another record of 419 parts per, per million. I was born when that number was 318 parts per million. That is, it may not sound like a lot, but that is a dramatic change to the, to the, to the climate dynamics of the world. And that's before you even start thinking about the, the crisis of biodiversity and nature, because we ultimately depend, our food systems depend on natural systems i mean we haven't got away from that we, we we may feel very remote from it living in in cities and buying food in a supermarket but all of that food has to be grown somewhere and those natural systems have to work so anyway so that's a very long-winded way of talking about the backdrop what motivated me to set up the global returns project and so i thought well there's got to be a way to integrate that thinking into finance now people say oh well we're doing sustainable investing in esg um but so what we've come up with is what we call symbiotic wealth management and the idea is that you're pairing a a, a regenerative investment an investment which helps the planet alongside your um existing investment portfolio and that's why we call it symbiotic wealth management and, you know, it may be a, a sort of fancy term, but I think it's quite an um, accurate way of thinking about a system which, which helps itself uh, regenerate and is interdependent. We are interdependent on the, on the natural world. So, so you, know, we, you know, we basically just live on a rock in a vacuum. And the only reason the Earth sustains life is because we have these these earth systems which support us, which is, you know, the climate system, the water cycle, the biodiversity we see around us. Otherwise, if we didn't have all those things, it would look like the surface of the moon. Yeah. And what the science is telling us is we're undermining those, those natural life support systems. So we need to do something about it. And so our approach is if every investor in the world or even some very small proportion of investors in the world said to themselves, well, I'm going to do my investment, but I'm going to allocate a tiny percentage of that to the best regenerative investments, i.e. adopt symbiotic investment, then you could direct money to um, activities which are actually protecting and enhancing the biosphere. And if we protect and enhance the biosphere, we're actually reducing the risk of all our financial investments. Because that can only be that can only be a good thing, and it's and and you know this is a way to make your financial planning to be part of the solution. And so our our, our 
the way we express that is in something called the Global Returns Fund, which is a collection of the best climate and nature not-for-profits that we have identified. And that's what I said about approaching it with a fund management mindset, is we have researched and analysed those, and we have a process around them. And the idea is we're taking all of that difficult legwork out so that behaviourally it becomes an easy decision for someone to say, oh, Global Returns Project, I know they've done the work, they've done the research, I'm happy to just tick the box and allocate a tiny percentage of my savings and investments to the Global Returns Fund because I know that um, that's going to be highly effective. In fact, we've done some research on its effectiveness, which we can talk about. Right. And I guess as an investor then, if I was to allocate a portion of my funds to the Global Returns Project, although the returns from that fund won't necessarily be financial, they will be a hedge against protecting the planet, basically, and and protecting my investments in that in that sense. Exactly. So, 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 I mean, we're talking about a tiny proportion. I mean, most investors who do this are doing, you know, a quarter of a percent of their financial assets every yeah. year now. And 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 you know, if you've got four thousand pounds, that's ten quid a year. If you've got you know four million, that's ten thousand a year. But it's 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 in proportion to your wealth, and that has real impact. It's really effective. And it and it and it and in terms of you know sort of personal climate action that people can take, it's actually multiple times more effective than many of the th- things on the usual shopping list of things that people might want to do. But but here's the interesting thing about symbiotic wealth management: if we look, if we think about how much money private investors have globally, right? Private individuals control about. 140 trillion dollars of assets okay which is kind of a mind-boggling figure wow uh, so, so that's money which doesn't belong to sovereign wealth funds doesn't belong to insurance companies doesn't belong to defined benefit pension plans doesn't belong to corporate treasuries it belongs to private individuals okay wow. and if we could get some proportion of those let's say they all did this Okay, that would be $350 billion just over a year going into these kind of projects. But obviously not everyone's going to do it. But let's say only, you know, 3% do it. So three in 100 think this is a good idea. Well, you'd still be raising $10 billion a year over. It'd be more like $10.5 billion a year Yeah. Um, for these kind of projects. Now, that really actually would move the dial on quite a lot of climate issues. Yeah. And how, I guess, uh, I mean, we can go into it, how people can actually take part in the Global Returns Project, but on that scale, yeah, what sort of your strategy to try and enable that? Is it is it working with some of the, some of these, like either bigger, bigger funds or also some of the um, platforms that retail investors use in order to provide that almost like you say, tick box solution to say, when you're making an investment, would you like to portion some of it to the Global Returns Project? So, so um, the way we're, we're doing it is 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 we're talking to you know financial institutions, well, primarily in the UK because we're based here, but we've 
spoken to them in you know in many countries because it's a multinational business and and uh, initially we're talking to financial advisors and getting them to you know endorse the global returns project say you know we think this is a good idea and talk to their clients about it yep. you know from a from a regulatory point of view in Europe now a financial advisor has to as part of the annual review or as part of their know your customer onboarding process they have to ask about their sustainability preferences and so um you know that's a natural point in the conversation to say well if you want to do something that's that's beyond ESG that's actually many times more effective then you can look at something like symbiotic investment or you know the global returns project the uk doesn't have the same regulation but yet but but we're fairly sure it's going in that direction and in any case you know financial advisors will do say an annual review or um you know or talk about investment exclusions and that's a sort of natural point in the conversation so you know what we're trying to do is get them to to endorse the project say you know we think this is a good idea and to make make it just sort of part of the investment landscape this is just a thing that some people do and and you know there'll be people you know like me who feel driven to do something like this and there'll be others who just say well no that's rubbish that's not for me and you know but everyone it's up to everyone to make their own decisions um but but for those who 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 you know think about these issues and care about them and actually want to do something which could be systemic and really make a big difference those are the, those are the people we're talking to so that's one avenue the other one is you know we've put together a whole process for identifying and and monitoring these organizations and so you can you can incorporate this in products so so you know for for instance a fund might allocate a proportion of their management fee to the global returns fund or a venture capital in fact you know that there, there is a fund that's already done that there's an also a venture capital company that's agreed to give a percentage of their performance on future deals to the global returns fund so so what we're trying to do is to make this part of the financial landscape um and and that's our strategy <laughs> and from from your own personal perspective was there any sort of one thing that really just triggered you to think yeah i, I have to do this or was it just a combination of factors that that's driven you i think it was i think it was a, a combination of factors um i suppose what you know while i was working during you know during my fund management days you know you'd be concentrating on your your day job and you know that takes up all your headspace and 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 you know that this stuff is going on but you know that there was a you know kyoto protocol and there was a paris agreement and you know it seems that the government's had it in hand you know uh, that was kind of you know your general impression you think well yeah we know that climate change is a problem but they're dealing with it so that's fine and then and then later on you see all this kind of sustainable investing and ESG and you think oh well you know financial markets are going to sort it out um but in fact i suppose it was when i realized that neither of those things were true and i just looked at the data you know just looking at the numbers of atmospheric co2 concentrations and you know fossil fuel burning and production and you know pollution figures and 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 actually there was one thing 
you know, it was the data which kind of shocked me. You know, I can't remember which particular report I read, but and then you think, oh my God, can this be right? And you so so you look into it further, which because that's my natural inclination. And 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 actually the more you look into it, the more scary it gets. And so, and I suppose it got to the stage where where um I just thought, well, I just can't stand by and and do nothing here. And and actually one report which really struck me was was that um about three years ago, some German scientists published a report. They'd done a 20-year a study of um, insect life across the whole of Germany, across wildlife sites. And they'd been, they just had traps trapping flying insects. And so they, very broad measure, they were just measuring insect biomass. Right. And they found a 75% drop over the 20-year period and a peak seasonal drop of 84%. So that is catastrophic. I mean, that is, that is the basis of the food chain for so many terrestrial animals. And then people wonder what, what's happened to all the, all the farm birds. Well, it's pretty obvious. 60% of them eat insects. Yeah. And the other 30% eat other birds. Well, not quite, but, you know, because a lot of them be, eat seeds and what have you. But you know, 60% of them depend on, in large part, on insects for their diets. And, and, and we've killed all the insects. And, and you just think, well, this isn't, you, we can't carry on like this because it's going to undermine everything. Absolutely. And in terms of some of the beneficiaries of the Global Returns Project, can you, can you talk a little bit about where some of the funds are allocated and, and, and what they're working on? Yeah, absolutely. So, so, so the thinking behind it was that, you know, there are market solutions for things which work really well. So, you know, you know, electric cars are revolutionising transport already. You know, solar panels and and wind and battery storage; those prices are coming down dramatically. Um, and you know, they're already cheaper. Actually, you know, renewables are already cheaper than any other form of power in pretty much 80% of the world. So that it, it, today it makes absolutely no sense to, to build a coal-fired power station or even a gas-fired power station and even less sense to build a nuclear power station because renewables are just so dramatically cheaper than anything any, anything else. And don't let anyone else tell you anything different no. to that. But anyway, <laughs> the point is that markets are really good at sorting that stuff out because yeah. there's money to be made capital gets allocated and people do the things but then there are a whole load of things which markets cannot achieve right so things like suing polluters things like protecting rainforests and planting trees you know protecting fragile ecosystems which are important carbon sinks and part of the carbon cycle things like getting clean sustainable energy to the the billion or so people who live without power today all of those things, you know, that there are no market mechanisms, there are no investment funds, there's no ESG that's going to do that, right? So, so it's the not-for-profit organisations which are doing those things, and the reason they're doing them is precisely because there is no other way to do them. And and um, so, what we've done is we've looked around and we've said, okay, how do we identify some of the most effective not-for-profits? tackling the climate crisis and and um we've looked at first of all are they well run are they 
you know, have they been going a certain amount of time? Are they well managed? And then we look at four factors and we score them. Once again, is a sort of fund management mindset. We look at impact in terms of CO2 equivalents, either sequestered or avoided. We look at scalability. We look at networks and we look at co-benefits and we give each of those a score and it's only the highest scoring organizations that make their way into the portfolio and the objective of the portfolio is climate action life below water and life on land so they're part of the what we call the fundamental sustainable development goals and then um it's only the highest scoring organizations which we which you know, get their way into the into fund. There are currently six organisations, okay. and I'll just list them briefly. Um, it's Ashton, Client Earth, Global Canopy, Rainforest Trust, Trillion Trees, and Whale and Dolphin Conservation. Okay. And they're all working on different parts of the climate crisis, some through, you know, natural, you know, natural processes so whale and dolphin conservation do what do what they say they you know they protect whales and dolphins but what many people don't know is that whales and dolphins are a critical part of the marine carbon cycle you know there are scientific reports which suggest that a great whale could be sequestering as much as 250 tons of co2 every year um and obviously, everyone knows about trees. So, rainforest trusts protect existing rainforests. Trillion trees have a thing called the Reforest Fund, and what they're trying to do is regenerate rainforests and trop- tropical forests, typically on you know areas which have been degraded. Um, so, and 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 obviously, in, in these areas, it's has very important biodiversity co benefits as well. And then there are some more interesting more interesting in the sense that they're not so mainstream but more interesting in because they do slightly you know off the beaten track things so global canopy what they do is they analyze supply chains and they say okay which which products you know supermarket products or or you know products that go into building processes actually drive deforestation and so they analyze supply chains and they and and they all the way back to you know, individual provinces in Brazil or or islands in Indonesia and, and work out where in the supply chains there's pr- pressure, or, you know, coming from, you know, palm oil demand, coffee demand, soy demand, beef demand, which is driving deforestation. And they publish that data using these tools so that investors, purchasing managers, NGOs, governments can all look at that data and it's available because obviously if you you know, if you don't have the data, you can't make good decisions. Yeah. Uh, so that's a really interesting one. And then there's Client Earth, who 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 are a group of lawyers, and they see the Earth as their client. Okay, that's and cool. and and they work in about fifty countries, and they've done amazing things. Like they they um, you know they use the law to protect the planet, and that sometimes involves just giving policy advice, but Sometimes it involves actually suing people and they're not scared of suing governments. So they've sued the UK government successfully three times, which is why we now have an ultra low emission zone in London and and in other cities, I think it's either has or is being implemented. Yep. 
They also, for instance, supply policy advice to the Chinese government. They've trained 1,500 environmental prosecutors in China. Um, they've got the Polish government to agree to close down one of the biggest CO2 emitters in Europe, which was a, was a power station in eastern Poland. They've got the Greek government to agree to shut down a lig- power station, which is a really lignite is a really dirty form of coal. So, so you know, they do amazing work in so many areas. And then there's an organization called Ashton. And what they do is they promote clean, sustainable energy, primarily in developing countries, but they also work in the UK as well. And they have this annual award scheme where they find some of the best clean, sustainable energy initiatives and help promote those and help obtain funding and networking and get others to, you know, implement and, 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 and so on. And so, you know, combined, these organizations are highly effective. And, you know, we did an analysis where we compared, you know, putting, you know, um, a, a, um, a benchmark amount. So we, you have to benchmark it. So we said, someone put 600 pounds into the global returns fund compare that with a whole load of other things which people say they might do like you know live car free for a year stop flying go vegan switch to a renewable energy provider and and we tried to we did the analysis to try and compare those yep. two things and we found that putting the money into the fund was at least 100 times more effective than all of those other things so even if it was only 60 pounds it would be 10 times more effective than all those other things because it's linear. Um, And, you know, that's, that research is available as well on our website. Um, But I I think that's pretty interesting. Yeah, that's amazing. Um, Great to hear more about the projects as well. Um, I I think I'd heard about client earth um, and I thought, yeah, I thought that sounded, sounded pretty good. I assume they do it all pro bono. They can't, they can't uh, (laughs) charge the earth. Absolutely. (laughs) Absolutely. So, so, you know, that, 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 you know, predominantly lawyers work in the business, but they're lawyers who, who, who you know, um, are funded. The entire organisation is funded, you know, charitably. So, yeah. so I mean, they need they need to live, right? So they they <laughs> of course <laughs> uh, they they earn their money, but it's not it's not like a you know it's a different career path than a, yeah. than some lawyers might be doing. Definitely. And one thing I've sort of learned um, on my journey towards understanding more about wealth, um, and this is true of quite a lot of successful investors, that almost people seem to think that once they get rich, they can then give back. But actually, if you if you follow some, some investors and some of the uh, commentary on the subject, they recommend that... Um, you shouldn't wait until you're rich to, to support certain projects. Actually, if you can, if you can factor that into to how you build your portfolio, um, if you can give early on in your investment career, you'll almost be rewarded in the future for that. So I, I was keen to sort of look at my activity as an investor and how I can portion some of my funds, whether it's to, towards charities or, or even um, the work that you're doing. So, I'm keen to sort of emphasize that to the listener of the Wealth Journal podcast that you don't have to wait for wealth to to begin to to support projects like like what you're working on. Um, yeah, absolutely. So- uh, absolutely. And 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 I think I mean one of the things about this is that 
um, you know, what we're trying to do is promote also kind of a mindset change in the sense that this is a rational asset allocation decision. You know, if we're not doing things that regenerate the planet, we're going to undermine the basis of all wealth on the planet. You know, all human activity, including investment returns, ultimately depends on our Earth systems. So this is a completely rational thing to do. And But as you say, you know, whilst this is a form of giving, clearly, because we're a UK registered charity and, you know, uh, uh, an allocation legally is a donation which could be eligible for gift aid if you're a UK taxpayer, um, it's also a rational asset allocation decision to give something back to the planet to help, you know, to, to keep this symbiotic uh process going where you know the planet supports us and we in turn do something to all support the planet um and the other the other the other just general point to make is that you know if we don't address these crises then all of the other you know charitable things that people might choose will are all going to come become worse um because it's going to undermine everything it's going to undermine you know nutrition security health you know disease um, you know, migration, refugees, you know, there are so many things which will become far worse yep. unless we get on top of these the, these issues. Absolutely. Um, and how could how could people get involved then? How could the listeners of the Wealth Journal podcast uh, you know get involved in the in the global returns project? Where could they go? How could they learn more about it? Sure. So so our website is 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 global returns project dot earth um and and there's tons of information on there um they can they could ask their financial advisors if they know about us and if they don't tell them to get in touch with us please um you can actually just you know do your own back of the envelope calculation and say well you know i think i'll I'll put some money in and i think this is the right amount for me and and do it directly on our website um you know it's all clearly laid out there that you can you can you can make that allocation and and just to be clear you know we're doing this pro bono the trustees are all unpaid uh we have a advisory board which i haven't spoken about but we have a technical advisory board of five top climate scientists advising us um so so you know we are a charity and and um Importantly, 100 into the Global Returns Fund, 100 goes to the underlying organisations. So we don't deduct any transaction fees. We don't deduct any running costs. It's all a straight pass-through. And the, and the reason we can do that is because our activities are funded separately, uh, partly by trustees, partly by some charitable foundations and some individual backers who, who like what we're doing. <laughs> That's great. Yeah, I think it's um, reassuring, isn't it, for the for the donator to know that it's all going to to, yeah. to the correct causes. Um, Absolutely. I'll link everything in our in the show notes today, so people can find the website um, and you know learn a little bit more about it, and hopefully they can support the project as well. Um, but Jan, just want to say thank you for me for, uh, for coming onto the podcast. I really appreciate you sharing a little bit about your your background as a fund manager. Um, that was really, really insightful. And of course, it was great to hear 
more about the global returns project and it certainly opened my eyes a little bit more and actually i didn't realize something like this existed before um you know jack reached out to me from your team to explain yeah. that so i think that's really cool and i definitely want to try and help raise more awareness of, of the projects as well so it's been great to have you on the podcast and uh yeah i really enjoyed talking to you well, that, that's fantastic, Jay. Thank you for your for your kind words, and and it's been a pleasure um, talking to you and telling you all about what we're doing. And um, yeah, thanks a lot. Brilliant, yeah, and yeah, just well done for doing this. I think it's um, yeah, I think it's great. Good project. There we go, Jan Swiderski. What a guy! I, I really enjoyed my catch up with Jan both during the podcast, but also off air as well in the run up to doing the interview. And he was just a genuinely nice guy and it's great that he's using his vast experience and I think you could tell from the interview that he has a lot of experience and now applying that to do something good and applying it to a good cause which is which is great to see. One thing I recommend now is for you to just go out and um, and research a little bit more about the Global Returns Project. I'll put all the links in the show notes in the description so you can check that out and I'll just reiterate how you know they've got a great team behind them uh, some of the trustees and also some of the people that are just working on the project, I caught up with a couple of them before doing the interview with Jan and um, just a genuine um, set of good people that are working on this project. So yeah, it was an honor for me to actually have Jan on the podcast and talk about this this project as well. So hope you enjoyed it. Let me know what you think of the episode. Reach out to me on social at jhardytwj. And I look forward to speaking to you again next week. Take care. Thank you.